77 and uh, today I'm going to be talking all about the battles but of course before we move on to that um, uh, this podcast does not make itself for nothing so um, I would like to thank my sponsors uh, first and prime uh, mtjzone.com um, who are uh, sponsoring me and who are giving me a good home for my merry ramblings uh, as I write articles for them uh, so please go and do some clicking on my articles, read them. A couple of them are really relevant if you want to get some solid knowledge for uh, Arena in general. There is one really good one on wheeling and how uh, to estimate how often cards wheel. Uh, it's a pretty good one, so uh, you can find it there. Uh, apart from that, it's also brought to you and um, already a couple of people in the chat that I can see are patrons of me, so uh, you can go on my Patreon and um, support me if you uh, have some extra cash burning in your pocket. And there are some actually benefits uh, benefits coming uh, with that. So um, we're going to see the weekly question. That's one of those episodes. That's one of those benefits. And there are a couple of others. Uh, I think I'm going to expand them pretty soon because I started a new thing that I'm doing. Um, I did one episode, and it's basically me analyzing my games um, on 17 lands replay and just going through what I did wrong. So usually I pick well. The idea is to pick one game that I lost because of mistakes and one game that I won because of uh, something that I found interesting and then discuss that. Um, but I think that in the future, I'm going to also be um, taking from some patrons their logs from 17 lands and going on to their games if they feel like uh, submitting one. So uh, if, if you're up for something like that, uh, be my guest. I'm going to add those things in a couple of days to my, uh, uh, to my, um, to my Patreon uh, benefits. Um, okay, and with that, we can move to my uh, standard preamble. And this week, it's first information rarely gets updated. And this is this is a thing that I um, noticed already several times that people, even if they are invested players, they acquire some information and after that, they stick to that information. It never gets updated. So for very often, people will think that um, the best color combination in the format was the first deck that was predominant in the format. And, and it's very rarely the case that it's, that it's happening so throughout the whole uh, format. So uh, for example, in this format, if you would ask 10 random people on the street and ask them, what is the best color combination in uh, March of the Machine draft, uh, 10 of them would say, what? But if you would ask 10 Magic players uh, what is the best color combination in March of the Machine draft, most of the people would say uh, blue-black because that was the most dominant deck for the first week, uh, maybe first two weeks. But it's not the case uh, anymore. Um, so uh, this is an updated version of the win rate rankings. This is only looking at the last two weeks. And, um, and the best archetype for now, at least in terms of the win rate, is blue-white. Uh, then um, uh, blue-black is 57% slightly lower, so blue-white is at 58%. And then you have a whole bunch of decks uh, that are quite close to each other. I would say close enough not to see a big difference between them. Um, they are all between 55.4 and 53.6, so less than two percentage points win rate difference between them. And it's like Simic, uh, Selesnya, which is fourth. It, it was really low in the first weeks, 
but now it clawed its back, uh, clawed its way back to uh, being the fourth most winning archetype. Arguably, the differences are so small that you can't really, you know, put too much strength on it because it's just 0.1% higher than uh, Golgari. And then you have uh, Boros at 54.6, is um, um, it at 54.5? Then you have a maybe maybe slight drop. Uh, uh, Gruul and um, Ragdos are 53.9, 53.6. And then uh, Orzov is way in the back at 51.9. Uh, don't worry, Chronic33 in the chat. If Orzov works for you, then it works for you. I mean, just, just play it or share your secrets with us because clearly people did not manage to figure out how to make Orzov work, moi included. But this is the slight change um, that we had from the first uh, couple of weeks. Um, uh, Blue Black is still a good deck, uh, and hopefully at the end of this seminar you will see that it's a very, very, very different deck from Blue White, uh, and they should be played very differently, uh, even though they share a color, uh, which is uh, quite interesting and quite exciting for me when I figure that one out. Um, okay, uh, that brings us to the patron question of the week. Uh, we're continuing with Marius and his questions about conspiracy theories uh, related to uh, Arena Drafts. And he asks, do chase rares pop out in drafts less frequently? Because that's one of the conspiracy theories that uh, Watsi seeds the packs so that the good constructed rares are not being opened in them. Um, so I don't have a clear answer for that because um, for different people, different cards are chase rares. But these are the least seen rares when you open a pack. Uh, I analyzed, I don't know, several tens of thousands of packs. Um, only looking at the first pick, so I, you can see the whole um, the whole booster. Um, and the least draft, least seen rare was Bloated Processor uh, at 244, and it was an outlier. There is always like one card that is a slight outlier, just just you know combination of bad luck on opening the uh, Bloated Processor. I mean, you can argue that you can see some cards that are constructed playable. Atali is uh, among those uh, 15 least uh, seen rares at 282. Um, I guess Invasion of Gobakan is a card that can be played, and that's a 285. But you don't see any like anything that really strikes you in the eye and you see, wow, these cards are busted. I mean, Baral and Karizev is one of the least seen rares. I don't think it's going to see Construct play. Kogla and Nidaro, same thing. Um, and then you can go to the most seen rares, and their Omnath Locus of all is the most open one. This is another outlier. It's... Uh, 20 instances more than the next um, Nahiris Warcrafting, which is a playable uh, card in constructed Nahiris um, uh, Warcrafting, and it's 334. Um, uh, what other cards do we have there? Uh, actually, is there anything that is very playable and constructed in this format? I guess Knight Errant of Eos at some stage may be a playable card. Uh, Polychronos may be playable at some stage when they will remove all the value files with a bunch of removal. But you don't also see in the, that, that, that they are particularly weaker than the cards that were least seen. So I think uh, looking at the data, it does suggest that there is absolutely no method in what rares are opened more and which ones are opened less. That's, that's the general conclusions that I had from that. So hopefully that answers uh, uh, Marius's question. And, um, and uh, yeah, we can move to the actual uh, topic of the, uh, topic of the, uh, of the presentation. So, what does the data say about battles? Um, and the data I used, I took 300,000 most recent games from best of one, 
Uh, and in total, it had around 500,000 instances of bottles being in indexed. Um, so um, quite a large sample size where you can start drawing some maybe general conclusions and maybe even go into some kind of detailed conclusions. Right. Uh, so let's look at the base games played win rate of, of, of the battles. I divided them. I, I'm going to show all in this particular graph just to show you how close they are to each other in terms of the win rates. Uh, but the best battle in terms of games played win rate is uh, Battle of New Phyrexia, 58.3%. It's in the best archetype and actually has the win rate close to the average win rate of that archetype. So it's nothing like super exceptional when you look at the uh, win rate of that card. So the decks that contain it are not some kind of a busted um, uh, busted deck, that, a busted card that uh, is way above what it should be. Then you have the Battle of Amon, the Invasion of Amonkhet. Uh, I, I shortened them. I just wrote the number, of the, uh, the name of the play because they are all starting with invasion of, which actually made my uh, data analysis much easier because they were next to each other, so I could uh, uh, easily uh, easily find them all without uh, without going uh, around the spreadsheet and copying them where I should. And then we have the invasion of Segovia, fifty six point six Innistrad, fifty six point two. Segovia is the one that makes two Krakens. Innistrad is the one that gives minus 13, minus 13 to something, and it has flash. Uh, Ixalan, that's the two mana one when you can look at the top five cards and find the land or a creature. Uh, Xerex or Xerex? 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 Uh, 56%. Uh, that's the one that bounces, and uh, on the backside, it has the flyer that has power and toughness equal to the number of creatures you control. Fiora, the rough one, um, that's, uh, uh, that's in number seven. Um, then you have the Invasion of Eldraine, uh, the Mind Rot with, with, with some bonuses. Uh, Gobakan, uh, that's the two mana one that um, um, basically makes Elite Spain Spellbinder, and when it flips, it puts counters on everything that attacked. Mercadia, the uh, Tormenting Voice. Uh, Ikoria, the Tutor for a Creature, and Asgul, the uh, opponent or target player sacrifices a creature and um, loses one life and flips into a 2-1 menace that grows when something dies in your turn. And then you have like a bunch of them that just go flat level. So this is number 13 to number uh, 24 and they differ by 1.5 percentage points in terms of the win rate. And you have like Tarkir, Rin, Pyrulia, Tolvada, Ravnica, Zendikar, Dominaria, Belenon, Karsis, Ogrotha, Theros, Begatha. And there is basically no difference between those. Um, but of course, uh, you have to keep in mind that the games played win rate is putting a lot of weight on the actual deck power rather than um, on the card power. So for example, if I see Invasion of Tarkir here, it's a red card, red decks are losing slightly less. Therefore, it having 54% is actually telling to me that it's not a bad card. While the same thing for uh, Invasion of... No blue ones here? Oh, shame. Same thing on a blue one would be actually um, uh, telling me that it's actually poor. Um, and then we have um, the bottom ones. And, you know, Muraganda, Kaladesh, and Lorwyn are still in the same kind of pool as the other ones. Um, but um, Invasions of Moak, Ergamon, Shandalar, Alara, Kaldheim, Kylam, Nukapena, Kamigawa especially, and Arcadius particularly, uh, these do have much, uh, much lower win rates. So... Um, uh, they are approaching like 50% game, uh, games played win rate. So they are in decks that are below average for 17 lands, possibly because um, they shouldn't be played. And that might be one of the conclusions of the whole seminar. But before we go there, 
Uh, we also can look at the play rate of them, so how often they are played. Obviously, the uncommon ones are going to be played the most, and I'm only going to show you the uncommon ones uh, because they are actually the most relevant for the uh, um, for the draft because you will see them so much more frequently, especially in this set when uncommons are actually something like 20% more frequently seen. Thank you, Bailey, for your very valuable contribution. <whistles> Bailey, come here. I think that the cat is uh, tormenting my dog through the cat flap. <laughs> Love, lovely stuff. But when you look at it, um, Amon Cat is head and shoulders above anything else. Uh, it's been played 52,000 times in the data set that I analyzed, and the second uh, invasion of Eldraine, 30,000. So that's like a good uh, 20,000 more played. Uh, so that's 60% uh, more than Eldraine. And then you have Mercadia and Zendikar, also roughly a 30,000. Uh, Ulgrotha 27,000, and then you drop to Lorwyn 23, Vryn, <laughs> Bailey, come here. <laughs> Quality content, only here. Come here. Yes. Yes, the cat is making you angry. Oh no, poor you. Or maybe squirrels on the outside. Anyway, um, Lorwyn, Vryn, and Xerix, uh, 23, 23, 21,000, uh, and then you drop to uh, below 20,000 with Pyrulia, Asgol, Regatha, and Muraganda at 16,000. So, you know, they are played differentially. I mean, Amonkite is definitely played the most of all of them, but that doesn't tell us much. However, it can tell you something when you combine it with the um, with the later thing. Oh, there is the cat. There is the cat. Um, I have too many animals. Um, so here we have the game and hand win rates of those cards. Um, and here we see new Phyrexia being uh, very... Hey, gotcha. Quality content, as I said. Fighting animals under the table that you can't even see. Baby, they're not gonna—they're not going to make me uh, finish that stream, are they? Baby, sit, sit. Good boy. Yes. Right. So we can look at the game and hand win rate of those cards. Um, here, the invasion of New Phyrexia, you can see that it's uh, actually improving by quite a lot on the uh, game plays win rate. So it means that you draw it, you're going to win more. If you remember, it had 58% win rate uh, when you uh, when you just had it in the deck. Uh, but when you draw it, it goes up to 63. So it means it's uh, actually a card that actively makes your deck better and by quite a lot. Oh my god. It's absolutely impossible today with the animals. Um, Amon gets 61.6, so also an increase on the uh, uh, on the um, uh, regular 57% win rate when it's in the deck, so this actively also improves your deck. Innistrad uh, and Fiora around 60%. With Fiora, that's a big increase, so that can be said that Fiora is played in the decks that don't do very well if they don't draw Invasion of Fiora. If you watch the Pro Tour, you could see that um, Reed Duke's games, when he drew the Invasion of Fiora in his draft, were much, much easier for him to win than the ones where he didn't draw it. And then you have uh, Ixalan, Tarkir, Segovia, Asgol, Tolvada, Gobakan, Ikoria, and Eldraine. Uh, but if you go down to Eldraine, you already see that this one only has 56% game and hand win rate. Ikoria and Gobakan, 56.4% win rate. Um, Tolvada, 56.8% win rate. Asgol, 57. These are not like super impressive numbers. Uh, especially that when you think that all the battles are on higher rarity, so lowest you can get is uncommon, and a bunch of them are mythic. 
And actually, do you even see any mythic one? No, New Pyrexis, of course, mythic, but... Oh, yeah, Tarkir, 58.8, that's a mythic. 58.8 is not like an impressive thing, uh, win rate for a mythic rare. Segovia, also a rare 58%. It's it's like not very impressive at all. Um, good one, Trezio. Yes, my, 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 my animals are also having their battle, the battle of the kitchen. Uh, and here are the lowest ones in terms of game and hand win rate. Um, uh, Theros, Lorwyn, Belenon, Morganda, Ergamon, Nukapena, Kaldheim, Moak, Chandelar, Kamigawa, Kylem, and Arcavius. And I think that from this list, they are all between 52 and 46% win rate in game and hand win rate. From these ones, Lorwyn is a particular, uh, particularly interesting one to see because people are playing it a lot. Guilty as charged uh, myself. Belenon, I think, is still overplayed, although that's dropping uh, down. People learned that white battle is not a good idea. Um, I think Muraganda is also played quite a lot. I see it on the other side. I don't play it myself anymore. Uh, Ergamon also, I, th- I was really high on that one in the previous season and turned out to be a dud. Um, and Kamigawa, yeah, that's the one that is played way too much because it's in blue. People know that blue is good. They still maybe not, not everyone got a message that Blue is good, but Battle of Kamigawa is not. Uh, Ravnica falls between those, so um, somewhere somewhere in between. Unfortunately, due to my sh- shenanigans with the data and um, everything crashing and restarting, I, I I can't go to the Excel sheet to see the, the results. Luckily, I prepared the slides in advance. <laughs> um, and obviously, Arcavius is the worst one by a lot. Uh, that card is a big trap, uh, it seems. That spike will still, still fall into um, so here I plotted, um, I plotted only the uncommon battles, uh, but I plotted how many times is the card played versus the win rate. And, um, it actually explains that people identified good battles quite well, because, uh, if you remember my, uh, every week, it seems a uh, description of R squared, it just shows you how well does it fit to the line. And basically, the better it fits, the closer it is to one. It's at 0.65, so it means like this curve explains like two thirds of the variation. So it's pretty, pretty well. Um, it explains pretty well what we can see there. Uh, you can still see that some of the battles are maybe underplayed when they are under this line. So like this one and this one, and some maybe are overplayed, like this one and this one and and these ones. And um, obviously, it doesn't say on the graph which one is which. It doesn't. It, it, that, that's the whole point. Uh, because the next slide, I can tell you the most underdrafted and o- most un- overplayed and underplayed uh, battles uh, in the format. Um, so here are the four most overplayed according to this metric when you look at the win rate and um, uh, games played. I skipped Battle of uh, Invasion of Amonkhet because, uh, well, uh, it's overplayed for a very good reason. It wins quite a lot, so um, I guess uh, it's an exception to that rule. But the ones that are not having such a great win rate and are still being played, now I'm having my own invasion of the cat invading me. Um, so first big offender is invasion of Kamigawa. Problem with that card is that four mana for tapping something is just uh, for two turns even is just not on rate. It should be it just should be um, costing two mana uh, for that kind of effect. So paying two extra mana is is quite a lot. Uh, cat, stop invading me, please. Um, and then the backside is also not spectacular. So I think it would be better if the backside would be actually something useful, but like a two, three flyer. Yes, it draws a card on, on connection, uh, but that's just not enough. I think, um, it just makes for a mediocre card that maybe 
offers promise of something great, like, oh yeah, I'm gonna flip it, then I'm gonna draw a bunch of card. The reality is that you play it, if you flip it, you still end up with a mediocre creature that um, uh, that still needs to connect, which is um, not an easy feat in the format with a lot of removal, a lot of interaction spells, and a bunch of flyers on top of everything, um, and a bunch of reach creature with sneaky reach as well tacked onto it. Then Invasion of Lorwyn. This is played because it's a removal spell, and uh, everyone knows removal is good in this format, but maybe not removal for six mana. And then it flips into the possibly worst possible most possible type of creatures in, in in this format, which means a big dumb beast that doesn't do anything on ETB, doesn't have any kind of activated abilities, doesn't it's just a vanilla. Um so basically like a worse version of um Yargle and Multani. Um and that's a good, again, that's that's not something also it has five um five defense, which um which makes it hard to flip. So this combined makes for a card that sometimes you will have to play when you don't have enough interaction and you want to have some removal, uh, but probably you shouldn't go out of your way of putting your it in your deck. I think that in the beginning of this format, I was like, oh, well, this is like a must include in my decks. And now I'm more like, do I really want to pick it? Maybe that Icor Drinker is looking way, way more attractive to me. And that's actually where I am right now. That I'd rather pick an Icor Drinker than Invasion of Lorwyn, especially that it puts me on a two-color uh, deck. Not in the best two colors either. Either so, um, I'd rather not not pick it. Uh, Invasion of Zendikar. This one is overplayed because this looks very appealing um, and it's pretty powerful in some games. But in some games, it just does uh, not much. Um, you won't have a good time playing Invasion of Zendikar against aggressive decks. And if there is one thing that I learned from this data uh, is that uh, despite what's being said about uh, MUM, that it's a slower format, that you can do certain things, over time it became much faster, I think. And um, over time, the aggressive uh, decks were starting, people started to build them correctly. And because they started to build them correctly, um, they um, they can go under decks that try to turtle playing Invasion of Zendikar and, um, um, and and ramping into big things. You might not have enough time to do that. Uh, but because the card is also uh, treated as basically a B, B-plus level card by people in draft and picked accordingly, um, it's probably, that's why it's overplayed, uh, even though it's better uh, than the other three uh, on that slide um, in terms of win rate. But it's still overplayed. Um, and the last one is Invasion of Ulgrotha. This one has a very similar problem to the Invasion of Lorwyn. Um, it is five defense. It is a removal, uh, not even an unconditional one. Um, and really, are you going to move the screen now? Yes. Yes, that's my cat trying to completely ruin the stream. First fighting with the dog, now moving the computer like a crazy maniac. Yeah, go in the camera, let people see your face. Sure, sure. You had your food, you're not getting any more. Wow, this is going to be definitely a uh, uh, class content in terms of me struggling with the animals yet again. Uh, so backside of it is better because it has evasion and it grows and it can be pretty scary. I had a couple of games when this thing became out of got out of control. It negates some strategies, which is worth knowing. So um, I think Invasion of Ulgrotha is a great cyborg card against um, uh, Ragdos Sack because uh, it's hard to race with sacrificing your creature when uh, when this thing grows every time you do it. Okay, so now you want to be also in the camera. Yes, you are. But that doesn't mean that you can. Move on, move on, move on to your face. Yes. Uh, cats have one thing, and that's relentlessness. Um, 
but still, even at five mana, it's just not good enough most of the time. And again, it's being picked as a premium thing that you want to have in your deck at all times. Since when are you playful? You're old. You should be lying down and sleeping at this time. And we go here. Good. Thank you. I'll have to probably refeed him. Um, okay, so these four are the most overplayed, but which are the ones? No, it's it's going to be impossible. Um, which ones? Uh, which invasions are the most underplayed? Because probably that's where the equity is for you. Because of course, uh, if you know what is overplayed, you can skip playing it. But it would be good to know which ones are underplayed compared to how their win rate is. And I think we have we have a set of four pretty interesting uh, invasions. I don't have any experience with Invasion of Dominaria, um, so I can't be saying why this one is performing better than, than it's played. I think that people think that it's do, a, a do-nothing card, but it actually can be a useful thing in, in some decks. I don't think that there's many decks that want to use it. I don't think that any aggressive deck wants to play it, but I think it's a, like a great splash card for a control deck that utilizes some white. Maybe you play... Uh, Simic deck splashing Sunfall, and you might as well add Invasion of Dominaria to that kind of deck because it will be on plan with what you're trying to do, and that is surviving until you can cast Sunfall, for example. And it also digs you to it. So I think that there will be decks that uh, the Invasion of Dominaria is going to be good. It has not amazing numbers, but um, uh, but um, but decent enough, I think. It's something that, you know, here the five toughness of, of the Invasion is not a big issue. Uh, because you're not planning on flipping it rapidly. You want to maybe do it somewhere by the way. Maybe you want to play some kind of a black-white attrition deck and you just have like render inerts that can quickly flip it, for example, uh, something like that. Um, Invasion of Kaladesh. Now, that's an interesting one. And I think that a bunch of content creators were quite high on that invasion. And the numbers seem to suggest that they are at least partially right. It's not played a lot, but when it's played, it has decent stats. And um, I think that um, you want to play some kind of a blue-red, obviously, uh, deck um, and um, utilize the artifact synergies. They're not that many, but all the incubator tokens are um, artifacts. Uh, there is an excellent card that goes with Invasion of Kaladesh in, in the form of um, a Marauding Dreadship that puts two artifacts on board. There is the beat stick, and beat stick makes treasures, uh, so that can also make it grow quite rapidly. So uh, um, if you have a deck that has, you know, a couple of dread ships, uh, maybe a beat stick, Invasion of Kaladesh is going to be really premium because um, that crew, um, that crew cost is small, that vehicle can get really big very quickly, and... Uh, um, and you're also probably not going to try to combo off uh, rapid kills because you also want to do some convoking and stuff like that. Um, so uh, I would draw your attention to Invasion of Kaladesh and and, and maybe start putting it in your red white deck, uh, red blue decks. Uh, Invasion of Asgol, uh, this card is really strong and uh, underplayed. I think that you know, despite what the numbers suggest on the win rate of Raktos, Raktos is a pretty good um, archetype if you uh, if you are able to find an open lane. I found it a couple of times. Um, uh, Ethan, if you want to see good examples of um, of Raktos, uh, join Ethan's stream. I think he's forcing it basically blind. Uh, and big part of the success of Raktos in his case was that. All the um, multicolor spells in uh, Rakdos are just basically custom made for you. Uh, you will get it. No other colors will steal it to splash it as a, as a, as a one-off. Uh, because, you know, in Invasion of Asgol um, uh, and Yuri and uh, and the uh, Signpost Uncommon, 
all those cards they want to do sacrificing and no other decks want to do that. So you're probably going to get all of them if you're the only drafter on the table and you will have frequently a deck that has like um, two invasions of Asgol, Yuri and the, um, I forgot the name, the Ragdos signpost um, or, or even more. And those can make for some really good shells, um, especially if you have like a couple of bombs to support them. So you have like the later game. Uh, yes, you can uh, use Invasion of Asgol also as a sacrifice outlet uh, after uh, Furnace Reigns, as Mercurial noticed, because it says uh, target player sacrifices a creature or planeswalker and loses one life. Which makes me think, what happens when you play Invasion of Asgol um, uh, and uh, opponent in response plays the thing that gives them hexproof? Do you have to target yourself and sacrifice your own creature? Oh no, I don't want to see it ever uh, on... on... <laughs> I don't want this. I don't, I don't want to be in that scenario ever. Um, Stormclaw Rager, thank you very much, Leaky Pillow. And um, Invasion of Asgol has really strong numbers. If you looked at the game and hand win rate, uh, it was uh, definitely in the top ten of the best invasions. When you think about it, that it's only an uncommon, and uh, except for Amonkhet, all of the cards that are higher than that are rares and mythics. Uh, it should tell you something about the power of that card. Um, uh, so that's how strong it is. 57.1% game and win rate, pretty decent. Um, and then the last one is Invasion of Pyrulia. Uh, another card I really like uh, because of the cost. Um, I do like that it's two mana. I can play it early, fix my draw, uh, get my land. Um, and then, yes, I'm not playing a two drop, but uh, then I'm fixing myself for the later game uh, quite efficiently. Um, and it flips into a solid 4-4 uh, that I flipped without a problem um, in my blue-green decks uh, at some stage, um, giving you this extra creature. And also, it makes attacking pretty awkward because even if you didn't play a two drop, you play a three drop, and then can they commit with everything and leave the invasion unblocked? Um, very often not. And because very often they cannot, um, very often it will anyway stop some attacks uh, despite not playing a two drop. So um, uh, there is this advantage on that. And I think, you know, not only you draw a land most of the time, uh, but also you scry three, which is basically a drawing of a card. It has some vibe of, um, you know, uh, growth spiral uh, into it, but growth spiral that can actually flip into a decent creature. Um, okay. So these are the most underplayed, and I would really recommend that you look at those cards next time you draft and uh, maybe try to um, try to see if they can fit in your deck um, because uh, there is some power in them if you know how to utilize those battles efficiently. And here we come to the point, uh, how to utilize those battles most efficiently. So we start with the best early battles. And um, what do I mean by early? Uh, I calculated the games in opening hand win rate and then games played win rate. So basically, if a card is good early, the opening hand win rate is much higher than the games played win rate. Um, and the ones that are uh, the best early battles, Tarkir, Gobakan, Ixalan, those three, all of them cost two mana. So that's like something that points you towards um, uh, what is good early and that's cheap battles, basically. Um, and you also will see that uh, Gobakan is white, Tarkir is red. Uh, these two colors are not exactly um, known for their control decks in this format, which means that they can be played in aggro decks uh, quite easily. 
Um, and I don't even think that they're good two drops. I just think that uh, they are possibly uh, pretty good turn four drops when you can play a two mana creature and the battle at the same time and then force uh, awkward situations for the opponent next turn. Then uh, Ixalan also two mana, so it, it can be played on two. It can fix your draws. Uh, it can get a good creature late in the game. So it's good at every stage of the game, but particularly good in the uh, opening hand. Uh, then Innistrad is... Um, uh, uh, Four mana battle that uh, you basically uh, kill something. And here, why is it good in the opening hand? It's probably because you can play a, uh, plan a situation when you flash it in end of turn, clear something, and then attack to it uh, directly. And it's much easier to do that early because later the board is clogged. People are starting to get those board stalls. Uh, and then because of that, it will be harder to flip it. And then if you manage to flip it, of course, you get the two uh, two zombies instantly. So you basically get a 4-4 four, four over two bodies and potential to get more bodies after that. Um, and uh, that will basically swing the game in your uh, advantage but quite dramatically. Mm. Then we have Asgol and Amonkhet, the two that are just genuinely, genuinely good, but they're also good early, uh, which is uh, important to know. Um, this has partly to do that, you know, uh, the difference between games in opening hand and games played is also um, at the difference between, oh, in this game, I actually drew that card and, and the games played only in maybe 60, in 45% of the games I drew the card. So a bunch of those um, games will be without any impact of those battles. Um, then you have the battles of Mercadia, New Phyrexia. Um, still good in the opening hand, but actually New Phyrexia is much better in the late game. Uh, it's still quite good in the opening hand, so uh, that card uh, is strong uh, independently of what happens. Zendikar, this is another part of the Battle of Zendikar, um, the Invasion of Zendikar, that uh, makes it maybe overplayed, because people always imagine those great scenarios when you play it on turn four, you ramp to six, seven next turn, and you play like some impressive creatures. But a lot of the games you will draw it later and then it becomes much less impressive because the 4-4 becomes like meh. Um, the, um, the ramp becomes less valuable because you're probably already on 6-7 lands, so why would you need the two other ones? Um, but in the opening hand, the card is uh, arguably pretty good. Um, Battle of Segovia, uh, obviously that's another early one when you can just play it for three mana and get two one ones and then uh, also uh, threaten uh, flipping it, which in the decks that won the Battle of Segovia, flipping it is a big boost because uh, um, the serpent that you flip into uh, well, basically untaps four creatures every turn. And since you will have possibly quite some few Convoke spells, that basically gives you four mana every turn when, while keeping the blockers back. And then um, the Battle of Pyrulia. It's also good in the open hand, opening hand. We already talked about this one when I talked about the underdrafted um, or underplayed battles. And Battle of Fiora, even though it's very expensive, it's still good to have it in the opening hand so you can play out your game so that you either not invest too many creatures or maybe you know try to go with the shenanigans when you play a couple of legendaries and then Fiora because you can plan it around better. You still will have like a bonus from having it in the opening hand, but um, it's, it's better also in, as a late battle. Uh, talking about best late battles, here on top we have Battle of Arcavius. Um, it's really strong compared to its games played win rate. Um, when you look at the games in, op in oh, actually that's a mistake on the. This is games not in the opening hand, but this is games drawn later in the game, but not not in the opening hand. 
uh, minus games played win rate. It has a high number there, but that's mainly because the games played win rate is just so pathetically low um, that um, it is actually good when you draw it late or not good. It is actually passable when you draw it late. The problem is that if you draw it early, it's it's atrocious. It's got an atrocious impact on your win rate because you basically mulliganed yourself, and because of that, that card is basically unplayable. Here we see uh, the controlling invasions: uh, New Phyrexia, Fiora, and Tulvada. These ones allow you to, uh, if you survive till the stage when you have seven mana, eight mana, New Phyrexia will basically uh, clog the board and probably win you the game. Uh, Battle of Fiora, well, if you draw it late, you can just basically wipe out the whole board and, and restart the game, which against aggressive strategies can be just basically the moment when you're starting to turn the corner. Uh, Battle of Tolvada, of course, it's better late because um, at the front side of that battle is uh, reanimate a creature from your graveyard. And at the stage when you draw it late, you will have more things in your graveyard, so bigger selection of what you can reanimate, which is great. Um, and also you can play like turns when you can flip it and uh, flipping this one gives you uh, basically a hard to beat card that generates a 2-1 flying lifelinker every turn. So uh, it's hard hard to win against that kind of uh, value engine. Um, and Amonkhet is still good late uh, because very often you will actually snipe one card from their hand. Uh, again, graveyards are going to be fuller, so you're going to get a bigger choice of what you want to uh, have the uh, thing come as a copy of. Um, it's a natural 2-4-1, two, two if not 3-4-1 in that stage, which is always good when you're playing this kind of deck that wants to lead to later games. Uh, Battle of Vicoria, um, this one, again, it grows with the game because uh, the more lands you have, the, the more X you can pay for the front side. So if you have like seven mana, you can bring a five drop on the battlefield from your um, from your deck. Non-human, uh, non-human. Worth noting, bonders cannot be called by a Korea. Um, so it's pretty expectable expected that this one will have uh, uh, games drawn uh, quite higher than the games played win rate. Invasion of Carsus. Um, this again lets you play around and and make sure that you sculpt the board in such a way that. It hits the opponent very hard, and it hits you much less hard. Um, strangely, Invasion of Tarkir is also good and um, uh, drawn in the late game. Uh, I guess the two damage to something is still strong enough, and then the, the, the threat of, um, of flipping the dragon is, is, is quite a big uh, game changer. And we have also uh, Battle of Alara, the five-color one. It's Of course, you don't want to draw it too early because there is a very small chance that you're going to be able to cast it. Battle of Rin, the Sift one. Um, again, um, late in the game, Sift is going to be uh, uh, much better because if you have like seven mana, you play this, you draw three cards, you discard something that you don't need, and you still can get a three drop to play, so you can uh, double spell quite efficiently with it later in the game. And Asgold is still good in the late game, although it is better in the early game. It gives you a bigger advantage. So yeah, here we have like the most battle, the best battles early in the game, the best battles later in the game. Um, so the question is, how many battles should we play? And here I looked at all the decks in that data set and how many battles they played. And actually quite a large chunk, I remind you this is, I looked at 300,000 games. So 60,000 of those 300 games, so 20% had zero battles in the deck. Uh, then 90 percent, uh, 90,000 game uh, decks, uh, decks had uh, 89,000. Um, uh, 90,000 um, decks in the data set had one battle in them. So that's uh, 
that's uh, 30%. Um, and then you go down. Uh, so basically, uh, the, the ma majority of the, well, the plurality of decks have uh, only one battle in them. Then there's like 77,000 with two, so that's 25-ish percent. And then you drop off to 45,000 um, decks will have three battles, so that's 15% uh, of the decks. And you go to uh, under 10% for four battles, that's 20,000 decks, and then just 7,000 with five. And quite respectably, eight eight decks had, uh, well, not eight decks, but uh, eight games that I've analyzed had 11 battles in them. So uh, um, this totals battles, not unique battles. So uh, I'm impressed that someone played a deck with 11 battles in them and actually, um, and actually, the, those eleven battles had pretty decent win rates. So maybe you, you can build a deck with eleven battles, and it's not going to be an um, an O three possibly. Uh, but you know, more than five will happen very, very, very rarely. Um, I, I I could actually mic 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 the mic. Maybe in a bonus after I finish the seminar, maybe we can fish out this deck with eleven battles, and then uh, and then try to find the replays of those games. It's possible with seventeen lands. Um, Okay, but yeah, I mean, generally, over five will happen very rarely. But um, that, again, tells us only about how people build the decks. I actually was pretty surprised that um, as much as 50% um, of the decks almost um, have zero to one battles, and then the other 50% have more. Uh, that was a bit surprising to me. I was expecting more because I know that there are three, 24 battles per pod, so three on average per player. Uh, that means that a bunch of battles don't see their play. Um, it's interesting. So here is the win rate based on the number of battles in deck. I only took the higher numbers just not to get into the trap of analyzing something with small, very small sample size. But what you can see is that increasing the numbers of battle in the deck is continuously leading to um, the drop in the win rate. Um, so uh, if you have zero battles in the deck, the average win rate was 56. Um, one battle, 55.5, two battles, 54.5, three battles, 54%, uh, four battles, 53%, then five battles, 51%, and six battles, 48.3. And then there's a slight increase in seven battles at 49.5, but you have to keep in mind that seven battles was only 700 games um, uh, to analyze. So that's a small sample size. Uh, there will be variants in there involved uh, much much more likely than in, 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 in those when you have like 90,000, 70,000. But general trend is the more battles you put in your deck, the less you win. And it's something that is not surprising to me, but it's something that is maybe a bit disappointing because this format, uh, the, the set was all about the battles and, and, and they are the new mechanic. And, uh, and uh, it's a bit, you know, disappointing to see that uh, the more of them you put, the, uh, uh, the less you win. Uh, Mike, 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 the Mike. Um, the last point, yeah, treated with a bit of uh, caution. I could, I could put, uh, I could put the one with eleven bottles that had 58 percent win rate, and uh, um, you would, uh, you would be devastated by that. Um, but in general, this might be something that you know, like when you have fully dedicated battle deck, maybe, uh, maybe there is some something to be said when you build it just, just to destroy bottles. Then, then the bottles can be much better. Like you have bunch of battles and three of them are regatha for example and you just like wreck wreck the other ones with regatha and you flip them and and life is good um okay this is i think the more interesting because i thought okay so let's let's look at some other components of what happens when you are putting battles into your deck 
Um, and I decided, okay, one thing I want to look at is game length and how does the inclusion of the battles um, um, impact the game duration. And here we have two aspects, the duration of games that the 17 lens user won and the duration of the games that the 17 lens users lost uh, as a function of how many battles you put in the deck. And first thing, lost games. You see that the fewer battles you put in your deck, um, the longer the game will last, if you, even if you lose it. So that means that these are possibly more competitive games when uh, you're not being overrun. But with each battle you put, the duration of your lost game is decreasing, which means that battles are basically bad if you are having a game when you're having any kind of trouble. Um, because obviously those cards will not bring you back most of the time to the game. So uh, with each addition of the battle, the games you lose are going to last a bit less. And you start like 9.5 uh, turns when you have no battles and you go down to uh, 8.9 um, uh, turns when you have seven battles. And uh, it, it is basically linear and quite quite sta stable in terms of how it drops. Um, so this is something that will make me very wary to overload on the battles uh, in general. But there can be alternative explanation why this, uh, this trend is happening. And one uh, explanation is that um, not every deck wants battles, and, and, and we're going to look in a second which kinds of decks want battles and which kind of decks don't want battles uh, when we look at the specific data for color combination. Um, but yeah, the, the, the disappointing part of it is that, uh, yes, putting battles in your deck will make you lose games uh, faster, um, uh, and, 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 and that's bad for particular style of the decks. Um, and that means that, for example, if you're playing like a deck that wants to go longer, you probably should uh, play a few battles. Uh, in terms of one games, um, the games you win in the decks that have no battles last around nine turns, maybe 9.05 turns. And then it sort of increases 9.2 for one battle, 9.25 for two battles, 9.3 for uh, three battles. So the games get, it takes you longer to win when you have battles. Um, and that's not necessarily bad, uh, but in general, it is something that you should look into it that uh, also, if you play three battles, you probably want to play a deck that wants to play a longer game. Uh, so you don't want to play cards that are good for like decks that want to kill very fast. And this is again, suggesting that um, you want to put battles in moderate amount in your control decks. And you probably want to skip battles almost altogether in the decks that are strictly aggro. Um, and yeah, we're going to look at it a bit later. Uh, then actually there is like a slight flattening, but I wouldn't call it a drop off. I would say that just it stays at this level between 9.2 and 9.3 turns. Um, as you increase the number of the battles. So like adding extra battles is not going to make you win uh, longer. It, it, it probably will have very little uh, impact on the game duration. But it is true that uh, putting many battles in your deck will make you lose some games very quickly. And I'm, I'm pretty sure that it's going to be that you're going to do all right in some games, uh, but in the games when you draw like three battles, you're going to just get overrun very quickly and there's nothing you're going to do and uh, that game is going to end quicker. Therefore, the, the game duration will be decreased. The average game duration will be decreased by those type of games. Um, it's something like maybe, you know, making irresponsible splashes. Uh, uh, I would compare it to that when 
you know, sometimes that splash is going to win you the game, but uh, quite frequently it's also going to make you uh, not draw your main lens of your main color, and because of that, not being able to cast spells, and because of that, um, uh, losing the game. Here it's going to be slightly different. You're not going to be losing the game because you didn't cast the spells, but uh, because you, you, the spells you cast did not affect the board uh, sufficiently, and battles very frequently don't... Um, uh, don't um, uh, impact the board sufficiently. And I think that the lesson from uh, uh, Calls is a good one from one of his episodes when he said, um, you have to make sure in this format that you're staying with your opponent and putting too many battles in your deck will not let you stay with your opponent because they will be playing creature, 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 and you'll be playing creature, uh, battle, battle, and then and then what? Uh, they probably have uh, overrun you already and still are capable of leaving blockers uh, behind to protect the battle, so you'll never be able to flip them. Um, so I think that this is the graph table, I guess table of of this um, of the seminar. So let's spend some time on that. Uh, here we have color pairs, um, and here we have number of battles in the deck. I only looked at 0, 1, 2, 3, 4 because these have the highest um, uh, sample sizes and because of that I could get some kind of a reliable uh, value of the win rate um, uh, for each of them. And inside of the table obviously are the win rates. And here we can look at uh, blue-white, zero battles, 59.7% win rate. One battle, 58.4% win rate. Two battles, 57 win rate. Uh, three, 56.45. And four battles, 52.4. You can see that there is a very strong linear drop of uh, win rate in blue-white, specifically when you put uh, uh, with every battle uh, extra that you put in your deck. Um, and white-black, it's basically has low win rate across the board, but still zero battles, 52.5, and then it drops to 50% when you have three or four battles. So it also has that dropping trajectory. Another white archetype, white-red, 56.5 win rate um, uh, when you have zero battles, drops to 55.5, 53.5, 51.5, and 50.5. So again, stable drop-off um, as you increase the number of the battles. And white-green, last of the white archetypes, starts at 57.8 when you have no battles. So this is the like one of the stronger lessons from this. When you play white-green, don't put any battles in it and then drops to 55.8, 53.7, 54.2, 51.5, as you put four battles. So all the white colors, with every battle that you put in, uh, they decrease their win rate. Uh, and that's something really to, uh, to keep in mind. And I would say that for me, this is a signal. If I play white in my deck, I want to have between zero and one battles, with probably, most of the time, I probably want to have zero battles. Um, in the most common decks. I, I, I assume that there will be sub-builds of white decks um, that are doing fine with a lot of battles, but they are going to be rare and they will be very specific decks and you should be able to identify those kind of decks and, and figure out um, uh, what you want to do with them and, and how you want to play them, but they are not going to be the bulk. Uh, this data is based on the, on the bulk and in most cases, white, blue, white, black, white, blue, white, red, and white, green, because these are actually the playable archetypes. Uh, they want to be on the more aggressive side, and because they want to be on the more, more aggressive side, they will rarely want uh, battles. They will maybe want one specific one uh, that fits with the plan. Uh, like, I mean, you know, if you play white, red, you probably put Invasion of Tarkir in your deck anyway. Um, because it does what you want. Or maybe you want to put like Invasion of Regatha for extra reach. I don't know. 
and you I, I think I think that the important part is that if you play those white decks and if you play invasions in those you want to play invasions for their front side and you probably don't have enough power to play an invasion and try to flip it and then win the game uh, so you probably want to play them but not flip them so you want to play them only for the face value uh, and that will be my guess and then you want to have no more than one of those then we look at the blue black and the picture is very different like zero battle blue black decks 56 percent win rate uh one battle 57 two battles 57 three battles 58 and then it drops at four to 56.5 which is still reasonable so you can see that in terms of blue-black, the uh, win rate dependent of the uh, number of battles that you have in your deck is relatively flat. Now, this is going to be very much boosted by the fact that uh, the most played battle invasion uh, in blue-black is going to be the invasion of Amonkhet. So yes, if you have like a couple of invasions of Amonkhet, you will not going to be sad at all. Uh, even if you have three, you're going to be probably quite happy. Um, so uh, it's worth noting that this is very much inflated by... Uh, invasion of Amonkhet being the most played invasion and 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 then it bumping the whole uh, archetype. But because of that, uh, you just know also that you can play any number of invasions of Amonkhet and it's fine. Uh, Blue-red, also pretty flat. 54 with zero battles, 56 with one battle. Uh, then it goes back to 54 with two, 52, 53 with uh, three, and around 53 and a half with four. So also slightly flat, but uh, there is a slight bump with having one battle. So you know maybe don't exaggerate, don't go, uh, don't go all in on the battles in this uh, archetype. Uh, but uh, it's it's fine to play them in there and, and fine to play multiple copies. Uh, it shouldn't be detrimental to your win rate. Uh, blue green is uh, basically flat: fifty-five point nine, fifty-five point four, fifty-five point six, fifty-five point seven, fifty-five point one at all the numbers of um uh, of the in, uh, of the battle of the invasions that you're playing in those so blue green doesn't seem to care how many in, uh, invasions it plays and i think that uh, because it counts splashes in this uh, statistic it counts all the splashed invasions that you put into your blue green deck uh, as well but good news for you if you're playing blue green and you want to play battles that's probably one of those uh, archetypes when you want to when you don't mind playing more uh, a very interesting piece of data for me is black-red, which actually has the lowest win rate when it has zero invasion at 51.8. So if you play black-red and you only have and you have zero invasions, um, you have the lowest win rate. And here I think that at least part of that result is um, due to the fact that if you play black-red and invasion of Asgol didn't wheel and you probably got an invasion of Asgol on your pod, then you're probably not shouldn't be drafting black red, um, and then it increases to 53 at one invasion, 53.5 at one invasion, 53.5 on two invasions, 54 at three, and 55 with four invasions. So black red, it seems, the more invasions, the merrier. I assume that um, you also want to pick the good ones. So the invasion of Asgol, maybe invasion of Mercadia, uh, maybe invasion of Eldraine. All those kind of things will fit quite nicely into that deck. Uh, because it's pretty much small ball deck uh, in terms of like it doesn't have like big chunky creatures. Maybe you will have a couple of bombs, but uh, because of that, uh, I think accruing those this slight um, uh, slight value by 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 playing battles is is something that you want to be in might might be interested in in, in black red specifically. Uh, then black green is very similar to Simic. 
uh, respectively from zero to four. So again, flat level, you want to put, uh, you, you don't mind um, how many invasions you put in, in, in your black green deck. It seems all, all is fine uh, in your average black green deck. I mean, obviously you have to think about uh, whether your specific deck can accommodate multiple invasion, but at least it seems to me that the black green can accommodate uh, multiple invasions without bigger problems. Um, and then red green, the battle buster deck, it seemed. Uh, and indeed, um, this is another one apart from the uh, black red where uh, having zero invasion is the lowest win rate, 52.8. And then having one is like 55.2. And then it drops to 54, 53 and a half and 55 at four. So at least there is traces of signs that you can play multiple invasions in this red green in this sort of like battle defeating focused version of the deck uh but um it's there doesn't seem to be like a massive uh massive benefit from putting multiple battles in 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 those red green decks so yeah there we go this is the money table of this uh, seminar uh looking at color specific um, um color specific win rates depending on how many battles are there in your deck and um i think that yeah uh looking at this data you can learn quite a lot about the format and then I thought, okay, but uh, does it tell me anything about uh, the speed of those decks? And I decided to make the uh, different analysis. Um, I looked at the win rate on each of, the, of each of those colors, depending on when the game was ended. And all the results that I found that the sample size was big enough, I put in this table, I colored it uh, um, so that you can see like red being, uh, of course, high win rates, blue being low win rates because maybe the numbers are quite small when you look at them. Uh, but I think, again, the, the most interesting thing um, that I find in this graph is the difference between white, white blue and blue black decks in this format. So when you look at the white blue, uh, games that end uh, turn four, five, six, seven, eight, over 60% win rate. So white blue wants to win those early games. It's really strong in getting those early wins on the table. And then the longer the game lasts, the, the smaller the chance for you to, of winning. So um, on turn nine, it already drops from 62% to 56%. On turn 10, the games that ended on turn 10, uh, the white-blue players only won 52% of their games. In turn 11 to uh, 15, it drops to like 47, 40, 45%, basically. So um, if you're playing blue-white canonical builds, because again, we're operating on large data sets, most decks are going to be the decks that you know, are most canonical for the for the for the uh, for the archetype. I'm pretty sure that you will find some blue white decks that can play the longer game. But most canonical decks, they want to really win by turn eight, and then it becomes an uphill struggle when you go past the turn eight. Uh, you will frequently not have tools to win. But it's a completely polar opposite for the blue black decks. When games that end on turn five, six, seven are run between 48 and 51% win rate, which is not spectacular when you think that this is allegedly the best archetype in the format. Uh, then it goes up to 56% at turn eight, 58 at turn nine, 59 at turn 10, 61 and a half, 60, 60, 60, 58, 58 at turns 11 to 16. So um, blue-black does polar opposite of the uh, of the blue-white um, and it doesn't win uh, the games that end early. It doesn't have the tools to probably end the game sufficiently early, uh, but it has really, really big advantage when, they, um, when the uh, operator of the 
Demir deck manages to draw the game into the uh, into the late uh, game. Now, um, all the white decks. Well, uh, let's not look at the white black. It just seems to be relatively bad uh, across the board. But uh, white red and white green, they all have the same trend as the white blue. So uh, white green wins sixty eight percent of the games that end on turn five that it is involved in. Uh, white red wins sixty eight percent of the games that end on turn five that it's involved in. And they have the like um, over 60% win rate until uh, turn seven. And then it drops off uh, and, and quite dramatically. Uh, so for example, uh, white green wins on 55% of the games that uh, end on turn eight still, and then goes to 52, 40 and nine, 50, 41, 43. So like basically those decks don't win much when the game uh, lasts over, over 10 turns. Same with white red. 54 at turn 8, 50 at turn 9, 45 at turn 10, 42 at turn 11, 42 at turn 12. So again, it's a very steep steep drop-off uh, if you cannot close the game before turn 10. Um, to some extent, uh, blue-red has the same thing. Um, oh, the colors just mean, uh, the colors just mean win rate um, if the game ends at this particular turn. So for example, here, dark red, it means that um, uh, white blue decks win a lot of games that end on turn six. And this is just basically to show that some some decks, if the game lasts longer, they will have struggle winning. And some games, uh, some decks like uh, blue-black, if the game lasts longer, they have a much bigger chance of winning. Actually, blue-black is the only deck that can win those late games. Uh, that's possibly the secret of its dominance. It, it can prolong the game, and then when the game lasts longer, they will uh, most likely win. I mean, most likely. 60%. That's still quite a lot. Um, so uh, so blue-red and red-green also have the similar trend. Uh, they will win the games quite happily until turn 8, and then after turn 8, they start deteriorating, but not as much as the, uh, as the white decks. Uh, it, it goes down to 48 47% win rate uh, as the game lasts over 10 turns. But it doesn't drop to 41, 43 like uh, like white, red, and white, green. So you have to also keep that in mind that um, probably your good white, red deck will really want to kill by turn eight, and um, and and you want to uh, make sure that you build it in a way that allows that to happen. Uh, there is a couple of mid range decks, uh, and to surprise of uh, no one really, uh, classic example is Golgari. Golgari yet again managed to uh, be in this uh, strict mid range spot. It doesn't really win much um, in the early games. It still has over 50% win rate in the uh, if the game ends early, so like 55, 53%. Then it has like a good streak of um, uh, if the games uh, last eight, nine, or ten turns, it it has the win rate of like roughly 56, 57, 55%. Uh, still at the turn 12, 56%. That's fine. And then it starts dropping off, so it doesn't have this capacity of um, of, of, of making sure that they're unassailable uh, uh, at late game uh, that blue-black has, for example. Uh, it might be something to do with the fact that uh, blue-black can protect its life total very efficiently. So if the game lasts longer, even if there is a slight wobble, they will be able to survive, while the green-black maybe does not have that capacity. And if there is a slight wobble, they will lose that game. And wobbles do happen frequently, actually. Um, so yeah, blue, red, and red, green, they are similar, as I already mentioned, to the white decks. Uh, black, red, uh, this deck has relatively similar numbers across board. However, it does show that it's slightly better in the beginning of the game. Uh, but again, it has a pretty low win rate in the data, in my opinion, because of people slightly misplaying it. 
All right, that's it, I think, for today. Um, hopefully, this has shed some of the light of the battles. I tried to squeeze out as much data as I could on, on uh, from what is available. And I think that it is interesting to look at the battles from the perspective of what are the plans for particular color combinations to win. Um, so uh, yeah, with that, I would like to acknowledge 17 lands um, um, and uh, the team, especially Ale Ballini, who is doing really Lord's work for uh, getting the data out. Uh, and of course, Viral Misnomer, who is, uh, well, always, uh, coming up with the new ideas. Currently, uh, it's a small spoiler, but hopefully uh, uh, hopefully uh, interesting to the people in here. Um, we're basically trying to incorporate Archetypist into the 17 lands, and um, uh, well, hopefully soon it's going to be a, um, a feature that you, can look, that you can use and that we will be able to expand on. Um, also, uh, thanks to fake Jake Brown, uh, who as always is going to help me with putting it in the podcast format. And if we are on the podcast format, I would like to thank uh, um, Sescu and Mana Junkie for the music that we're using as the intro. And obviously, thanks to the patrons. Um, uh, unfortunately, this week, no new patrons to report. But uh, thanks to all the patrons uh, for their support. Um, and thanks to um, uh, MTGA Zone for sponsoring me. And with that, I'll see you next week. <laughs>